This week, you'll hear a divorce story like all too many before it. Of course, we'll cover the lying, the cheating, the betrayal, you know, the normal stuff for this show. But I'm warning you, be prepared for the craziest twist of all time, along with the most unlikely alliance imaginable. Welcome to My Crazy Divorce. failure as a husband, I'm a failure as a man. It's just, I'm beautiful and I'm bright and I deserve better. It's a great day, I'm feeling good, oh, the possibilities of what I could, oh, do with the world at my fingertips, my imagination brings a smile up to my lips, oh. Welcome to My Crazy Divorce, everyone. I'm your host, Tom Milligan. Like most of the shows we do, this week's show includes lying, cheating, betrayal, you name it. But I've never seen gaslighting like this, or at least not from this perspective. But before I introduce our guest, Linda, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, OurDivorce.com. If you're considering divorce, visit OurDivorce.com instead of contacting an attorney. Their simple three-step process is specially designed to help amicably divorcing couples through the divorce process. And as always, OurDivorce.com doesn't cost you a dime until you're ready to pay. So there's no risk to give it a try. As always, if you need legal advice, please contact a licensed attorney. And just so we're clear, I'm not one of them. I'm also not a therapist, so please don't take anything said on this podcast as legal or therapeutic advice. And the last thing before I introduce our guest, if you'd like to share your crazy story on our show, please visit MyCrazyDivorce.com and apply to be a guest. I would love to hear from you. Now, with all that out of the way, let's meet Linda. Linda, thank you so much for being on My Crazy Divorce. Thank you for having me. Pleased to be here. I'm excited to hear this story. Okay, so let's get started like we always do with your childhood. Tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your parents. You know, that whole thing. I am Canadian. I was born in Canada, raised in Canada, lived there till I was 33. Born in small or small city and then lived in an even smaller town, which is best known because it's adjacent to one of the largest nuclear power plants in the world, which is why I glow. I have two sisters and a brother and my parents, my father's passed, but they, my parents divorced when I was about 12. Yeah, so that's where I grew up. That's where I'm from. And I've been in the U.S. for 19 years now. Oh, okay. So let's talk. We always like to learn a little bit about your family. So were you close as a family or was it just not so much? Well, I mean, it was an, it was a dysfunctional family. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. He was, he learned at the feet of the master. Um, came, you know, it was a perpetuation or of cycles repeating themselves, but I'm very close. I was very close to my siblings and still am. My mom did an amazing job trying to make bricks out of straw in that marriage. Really strong woman. Continued to do that when she became a single mom. But when the family unit was together, there was a lot of turmoil. My mom used to describe my dad as so predictable that he, so unpredictable that he was predictable is how she used to put it. So that can create a lot of trauma within a family. Sure. What about religion? Well, for many years, I identified as a recovering Pentecostal. I was raised in a particular Pentecostal church. I don't want to paint all Pentecostal churches with the same brush, of course. That would be silly. But the one I was raised in was they like to scare you into heaven. 
So we attended that as a family for quite a long time. And I rejected faith entirely. As soon as my mother allowed me to stop going when I was about 12 or 13, I, I simply started acting out in Sunday school and saying things like, I don't think we're supposed to take that literally. And, <laughs> and finally, I think maybe the Sunday school teachers told my mother I was a bit disruptive and suddenly I didn't have to go anymore. So, so wow. I stayed away from faith for many, many years because of that experience in that church. You know, <laughs> it played know. a role in your upbringing. At it, least. it really did. My mom was very devout Christian, still is. And my father went through phases saved not saved say you know that kind of thing yeah <laughs> i thought once you were saved i thought that was the whole idea of christianity isn't it i i i it depends who you ask it really That's does true. so yeah. yeah all right so linda now that we understand you know what made you you let's talk about your ex we're going to call him ross for today's show how did you two meet well actually he was my professor at the university I attended. I had dropped out of high school in the 11th grade, spent a few years working in, um, in, a, in the head office of an insurance company. And it was a good job for someone without much education, but I learned that I, what I didn't like. And literally one night I had a dream that all my friends were graduating from university. And so the next day I decided I would finish my high school credentials and I started university the next fall and loved it. And I started out as a physical education major and realized that I really sucked at sports that involved balls or objects that had to go into designated locations, which pretty much ruled out many things. And, you know, the idea of teaching that to someone was looking less and less like a good idea. So it so happened in my second year of university, I took a, a, a general education course. It was a required course. And it was a, I, it was in an area that I knew nothing about. Professor was amazing, and this was the professor, and, and the students were amazing. The course changed my life, and by the end of the course, I said to the professor, do you think I write well enough to become an English major? And he said, you do, and you should get out of physical education, and you should go to graduate school and become a professor. And my passion at that point was African-American literature. And he said, and you should become a professor of African-American literature. And I said, oh, all right then. And that became the goal. So anyway, years, you know, a year or two later, I was working for him as a research assistant and we ended up, you know, developing a relationship and we were together for about 20 years. Wow. Yeah. He was a, he's a really good person, very smart, so smart. And we really had a, a weird relationship because he was much older than I. And, but, so we had many good years. How much older? Just out of he, curiosity. He was 27 years my senior. And I'll tell you something, you know, people say, people either respond to that by saying, oh, age doesn't matter. Well, age does matter. Let's not. It does. Really. But the problems in the relationship that were related to age, honestly, weren't any more significant than, you know, other issues that arise in the course of a relationship. That That is a good time of my life for the most part. You know, I'll tell you, it's an interesting situation because I, when I first started dating after my divorce two or three years ago, I've talked about this a lot on TikTok that, you know, you, you haven't been on the dating scene for 28 years. You don't know. And, you, you know, dating sites didn't even exist back then. But so I, you know, I got on these dating sites and all I did was start looking for pretty women. <laughs> and I didn't care about age, how many kids. I didn't know that I should put filters on it. Mm -hmm. I ended up going out with this woman who was, she would have been 27 or 28 years younger and I was bored to tears. She was great to look at, but we had nothing in common. 
And it just became very clear to me. That was when I said, oh, there's a reason that they have the age filter on here. Mm -hmm. And so I put the age filter on and stopped dating. You know, I only went out on one date with a insanely much, much younger woman. And, you know, and again, like I said, I'm not everybody and not everyone else is me. So you and Ross spend 20 years together. Did you have kids? No, he had kids from a previous marriage who were, you know, there were three of them. They were close to my age. Good kids, great kids, interesting kids. Yeah. And then you guys ended up divorcing. We did. We split up. He had had some ongoing health problems and which in hindsight, he became very, very reclusive. And in that period, I became much less reclusive, if you will. And we, our lives were just going in very different kinds of directions. Relative to the story that I'm, you know, I have now to tell, it seems very mundane and boring. In fact, he's in assisted living now. I remain his caregiver. You know, I don't care for him on a daily basis, but I take care of his bills and handle any things he needs and things like that. So it, you know, it's pretty amicable. Yeah, I was going to say, it's hard to say think of that happening if it was a very acrimonious split. I mean, some days I think he's just a grumpy old man, but then I thought that when we were together too, so, you know. <laughs> well, good. Okay, so so how long ago did you guys separate? 2012. Oh, so it's been 10 years. Okay. You and Ross had a very particular and specific hobby together. Why don't you talk about yeah, it? Yeah, we showed horses and we bought horses sort of on a whim in Canada before we moved to the U.S. and brought a couple with us. And then when we moved here, I got a much better quality show horse and found a trainer living not too far away, about an hour away, who I started working with in 2005. And so, yeah, so that we, I showed, I until, I still have a show horse, though she's, she's being leased to someone else for a little while. But yeah, I've been involved in horses since about 1999. And Ross became involved in horses through me and he participated in, in some shows, enjoyed it. And then when his health went downhill, he stopped showing. Okay, and so you guys split up in 2012. You continue with the horse training. Actually, the trainer, whose name was Arlen, I, he had been training my horse since 2005. Oh, So I'd okay. known him for, what, what is that, seven years at that point in time. And we had become very close. Well, Definitely closer than we should have, like oh. put it very mildly. Okay, so it sounds to me that we're about to get into something pretty serious and pretty potentially embarrassing, Linda. Yes, sir. So I think we need to bring in another guest to bring in another perspective. So one who's been on our show before. Evie, okay. I think you know Linda from a prior episode. So everybody right now... If you have not listened to the previous episode called Happily Even After, I'm going to suggest you pause today's show right this minute, go back and listen to that episode, because from this point forward, nothing will make sense unless you've listened to that episode, okay? And going forward, by the way, Linda, who we've just gotten to know, is who we called number three in that episode. And once you've listened to that episode, you'll understand why this is such a big deal for Linda. So Linda, thank you again for being willing to talk to us today. And Evie, thank you for being here. So let's pick up the story from there. You built a relationship with Arlen 
your horse trainer. So yeah, we were having an inappropriate relationship, absolutely. I was under the impression that he was, this sounds so cliche, but very misunderstood by his wife. She didn't support his passions, his God-given gifts, and that she was crazy, trying to control his every life, his life. Again, if anybody's confused at this point, Evie is the crazy wife in that sen sentence. Um, <laughs> by the way, these two ladies have become very good friends and they refer to themselves as what a peculiar alliance that's what i call it so, so nothing well, yeah, is this isn't gonna be jerry springer <laughs> yeah if that's what you're here for you're on the wrong show divorce doesn't have to be complicated our divorce.com's three-step procedure provides a simple and affordable process that you can follow at your own pace save thousands by visiting our today okay so so we're gonna go back now to 2006, Linda has this horse trainer. Evie, you're married to this horse trainer. So Evie, why don't you start the story in 2006? So in 2006, Arlen and I had been married for 16 years and we had three sons. And at that point in time, they were five, six, and seven. And so I thought life was rolling along and things were going great. And I, through a series of events, found out about number two, that he was having a second affair. And again, my world was turned upside down. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about number one because that was covered in the previous episode. But so now you found out about number two. And who's number two? Linda, do you want to describe um, number two? Yeah, number two was a, a horse show person was not a client of Ireland's. He met her, I met her at a show, in, at a big show in June of 2006. I found out about it when you found out about it, Evie. I think that's when I found out about it. And I thought, oh, well. And you had already started having your relationship with him at this point. No, 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 no. And as far as I know, he, as far as I knew, he was a good Christian man, yeah, for that but then period. in 2006, you see him having this affair with your friend. Someone who became uh, a friend in that time, yeah. Okay, and and you did that, did you look at him and just go, you know, what is going on? Well, he kind of drew me into it, told me how much they had in common, and talked about the sparks and all that stuff. And so I became an ally of number two, and I was, you know, Pro number two. I don't know. Honestly, in hindsight, I don't know what I was thinking because it <laughs> seems like a very strange thing to do. But that's the truth that I remember that I was the ally. Now, I didn't right. know. I, didn't, I hadn't met Evie. So or if I'd met Evie, it was only once, I think, at that point in time at someone's house. I had met Linda on one other occasion at a meal at a person's home. And I learned quite a bit about her, who she was married to, how they got married, etc. So and I'm a people person. So I like to get all up in everybody's business and stuff. So I knew a little bit about her. When I met her the next time at this horse show, right after the revelation of number two, I went to Linda because I'm thinking she knows me and my kids because we were at this meal together and my kids were the mo the cutest things on the planet. I mean, they were precious and they're good kids and every, you know, they're just lovable. But, and so I'm thinking when, she'll be on my side. And so I went up to her and I said, Hey, I know about number two. 
I know what's going on, like break the ice, like let's just get this out in the open. And she said, well, I just want him to be happy. And I was like, oh, she like, and I just walked away and I knew never go near Linda again because she's not on my side. She's not on our side. And so. So Linda, do you, you have any idea what you were thinking or? I remember saying, I don't know what the right thing is. I just want, I thought I said everyone to be happy. And I think I, at the time I, I had this idea that if you're not happy in a marriage, then you should just leave it. And I was pro and I'm a little bit guessing at this point because I don't know that I have reflected on that particular moment all that much over the years, but I was probably thinking, ah, eh, it's not working. Get out, you know, yeah. far be it for me to, uh, I guess at that point think, Maybe you should keep the commitment you have and work on that instead mm -hmm. of flying the coop. But yeah. whatever, I misguided, though that moment was <laughs> such <laughs> that's what it was. So yeah. the moment she said that, Tom, the thing is on this side of me living in this home with him and sitting at lunch every day with our children, because we sat at the table and ate lunch every day for 18 years. 18 years. And so he was still every day sitting at the table eating lunch with all of us. And I'm thinking we laugh every day. And I may have said that, like we laugh every day. We just have the best time and happy. We're so stinking happy. I don't even know anybody happier, you know, like that was because you didn't just eat lunch. You played games, right. trivia. Okay. You had all this stuff you did. We right? had a blast. Yeah. We yeah. had a blast and we had every day we laughed and had a good time every single day so wow. so i didn't know what she was talking about we are happy <laughs> we so <Yeah>. happy <laughs> so. now we know about the performances that were going on but then no we didn't know that right that's just it's just still wild to me so number two is having this affair with arlen starting in 2006 that we know of at least how long did that affair go on do we know it ended when Evie found out. Which was? September, October, something like that. Of 2006. Of 2006, yeah. Okay, yeah. so just a few months. But I think the way we set that in the other episode, well, the damage is done at that point. There's, you know, there's no unringing that bell. Yeah, so with him and her, I mean, our pastor got involved and she called our pastor and it was, yeah, it was something. I remember that now. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward a few years because we get to a point then that Arlen has broken up with number two. He's playing the married man, you know, the good husband, basically. But then something breaks down in what, 2010, did you say? Or 12? It was 2010, 2011. And, but in between 2006 and then, you know, they're youngest son had a bone marrow transplant. They went through a lot, they yeah. went through a lot. And he stopped horse showing and training for a year, I remember. And when he, and he had told me years later, he was angry about um, Evie not really being crazy about him returning to horse showing and that there had been a lot of tension after that. So, you know, at some point we started having those conversations that you never have with someone else's spouse or with anyone other than your spouse. You don't talk about problems in your relationship with other people and especially people of the opposite sex because 
it sets you up for a kind of connection and intimacy that just spells affair. It sets you up for that. It's just stupid. It's stupid. There are those things should just be off limits in my opinion. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to stop and say I agree with you 100% because even if it never ends a marriage, even if that emotional affair doesn't ever end a marriage, it's still an emotional affair. Yeah. And then it's just that, you know, it's a quick leap into bed. Simple as that. Yeah, it yeah. really is. So, yeah. yeah. So eventually that happened. And, and then I left my husband in 2012, a couple of months before Arlen left Evie. And at that point, I thought my fairy tale was about to happen. Okay, so this is, again, right around 2011, 2012 time frame that you leave your husband, you leave Ross for Arlen. I left Ross because I wanted to leave Ross, but because I didn't know that he would leave, Evie. I didn't, oh, okay. that was not like, we, we didn't have a plan. Like, okay, I'll leave and you leave and we'll not make it look like there was none of that. Okay. I left. So you hoped for a soft landing, but it wasn't a sure thing. Correct. Okay. Yeah, because I honestly, I didn't really think he'd leave. I don't think I really had that kind of confidence, but. um, Well, so that's an interesting. So here we are in summer of 2012. So Linda, why don't you pick up the story right there? So he had moved his horse training facility to the town where I lived. that And that was somewhat of a coincidence. He had to leave the other facility. It was no longer available. He, this one, he knew the people who owned it. He'd known them for years. It was available. So there it was. I'm sure that Evie had reservations about that. It was an hour and something from their home. Like it was a long drive. Anyway, then he left after leaving the note about it in July. And he at first moved into a small so on the horse training facility property, there were a number of places to rent for that. This is what the owners did. So there was an apartment in the barn. There was a small little farmhouse. He rented the farmhouse at first. I had already rented another little house on the property. He lived in the farmhouse. Then he rented an apartment in the barn. And then he was over at my place all the time anyway. So he just moved in. Okay. So let's stop right there. So you lived on this horse property too? Yep. Oh, I didn't know. That's, yep. that's news. Very convenient. But it was so, great. My horse was there. My lover was there. Like everyone was there, you know. So Evie, it, during this time period, remind us of this note. I don't remember that part of the story. Yeah. So we're cruising along in life. Our kids are 11, 12, and 13 now. And literally we woke up that morning and had sex. And I asked if Linda was going to be at this new horse show in a couple days. And I took my kiddos to the movies and I came home and there was a note in my bathroom. And I thought it was like a love note. I got excited that he would have left me a note. And then when I read it, it was like, you know, I need time to think. Don't call my parents. Don't do this and don't do that. And, and I did what he asked. You wanted to know if Linda was going to be at the show because you knew that he was with Linda. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I had known. Well, so there's this odd thing. I mean... He's telling me, no, she's married. See, he hung out on the she's married card forever until even recent days. I mean, when we begin this story here, he said she's married. And so anyway, so on one hand, I want to know the truth, believe the truth, 
And then on one hand, I want to believe him because when he was with me, he was very present and he was very loving and very kind and very much a dad. And it was great. So I could live this or I could be angry about that. And so I just wanted peace and love and joy and happiness and happily yeah. ever after. So I kept doing that. Yeah. And how to make a daddy stay, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. It's just a crazy thing to think about these from the different perspectives. So in the meantime, Linda, Arlen's over here telling Evie, there's nothing really going on because she's married. So you don't need anything to worry about, but you're over there. What's your perspective? He's done, right? He's yours. Yeah. He, yeah. And he said, he told me, he told her that he wasn't involved with me because he said this was my decision, it had nothing to do with you, and I liked that idea, so ran with that, seemed like a good story. And then we were playing house, essentially, is what we were doing, and had my own little fantasy going on. We would have, one of the things I liked was he, we would have these long, long talks, and he was so self-reflective. And we spent hours and hours, like on road trips to horse shows and things like this, talking about what we had done, what we as individuals had done wrong in our previous relationships and how we were determined we were going to do this one the right way because, yeah, we couldn't undo that stuff too much water under the bridge, but we're going to do this the right way. So we talked about that. And I was thinking, oh, we are so, aren't we amazing? Look at us like being self-reflective and critiquing our own behavior in our previous relationships. And we should get like gold medals for, you know, people who are going to go forward in a new direction. And I'm sure I really, I think my mindset was really much like that. I really thought we were doing the right thing. And really, when you do enter a new relationship, it is important to reflect on where you screwed up. Absolutely. But the context was not an appropriate one. So so in over that summer, we had this, there was this one day and we were sitting on the couch and we were talking about those couples who are married for, you know, 50, 60 years. And I call them the forever, together forever couples. I officiate weddings as a hobby because I love weddings. I love those couples at weddings. I just love their presence at a wedding. And so we were trying to, we were talking about what is it do you think keeps them together? Like how did they make it when most people don't? And over the course of this really intense conversation, we decided maybe when, you know, the going gets rough, they turn in instead of out. And so it was like this epiphany moment. And it was like, okay, so we know that this won't always be like this. Someday something will happen. We'll hit a rough road. Little did I know what that would look like. And let's vow here and now to turn in, not out. And at the first sign of trouble, we will go to counseling. And what you don't ever do with a person with the characteristics this man has, because he can pull the wool over a counselor's eyes like that. But we vowed and I like we sat on this that couch and we vowed like literally it was a vow and it that meant as much to me as any marriage vow. I was sure we were together forever and we were going to do it right. And it didn't matter what happened because we'd already decided to turn in. And once you decide something in my I'm very black and white this way. When I decide something, that's what's going to happen. So just you're going to keep your marriage together, live happily ever after. That's what will happen. So, too. We were going to do it right. We would turn in, not out, and we would live happily ever after, and we would be the forever together couple. Wow. Amen. That's how, you know, that's how that went in my head. And I 
firmly believed, just as firmly believed, that it was his commitment as well. So at this point, you guys have made this commitment, this vow, if you will. He's living with you, more or less, if not 100%, but it was a secret from his parents. Well, he told me his parents wouldn't approve of him being separated from Evie and that he would have hell to pay for that. They're very traditional, very religious, and he said that would just not go over well. So he wanted to keep that under wraps. He likes to keep secrets. It's a big one. Yeah, big one. Well, besides Um, from that, and she's right, she's 100% right. How And in addition to that, he was 100% in their eyes married to me, living with me, coming to all the holidays with me because here oh, I he know, did yeah because they didn't know he'd moved out they had no idea like, and i'm playing the perfect wife because i want my marriage to work and he's given me when he was with me he was 100 my husband now he was gone half the time but when he was with me he was present he didn't do the pushing away like i've heard people who have affairs like their wife then they're done no there was not one moment of that so i was as close to him as before he just stayed somewhere else at night yeah it was peculiar he's an educator when school started again that fall he used to leave for school earlier than he had to I said, why are you leaving for school so early well he told me he had to get to school early so he could spend time doing his devotions <laughs> in fact in fact i love your laugh Evie. In fact, oh, he was doing some devotions, but they weren't at school. They were not at school. They were in Evie's house <laughs> with Evie, right? He was quite devoted. By the way, educate. What's a what's a devotion? I mean, I know oh, that we're a, about to joke it's a about Christian, it. It's a little Christian reading you do every day, a little Bible reflection, and it's you know, it's a Christian thing. Okay, so, so he was going to to school to do devotions, but in reality, he's going over to Evie's house. You guys are having sex and having breakfast together sending the boys off to school or whatever. We homeschooled then, it, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And then he'd come home to Evie's house for lunch too. Which I did know. I did know. Oh, you did know that? Yeah. And I thought that was, like, I, I was glad that he wasn't going to become one of those, oh, I pick up the kids on Sunday and take them McDonald's to McDonald's for a happy meal and then drop them off at home. Like it was clear he was not going to be in that kind of relationship with the boys. And yeah, I thought that was really good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I didn't know about his morning devotions at Evie's house. <laughs> Let's just say he was a very devout man then. Yes. <laughs> he had a lot of devotions. Like, can I be crude? Yes. That man should not even have a penis because it should have fallen off. That man had so much sex all yes. those years. Like, it is <laughs> mind boggling. Yes, lots. I mean, we had as much as any, uh, well, I don't even, I, more than any married couple, probably. We did not ever not have it. Yeah. And we were married, so it wasn't like, I mean, anyway, no. And then come to find out now that we're on this side, it, the same thing was happening over there. So I was quite I happy in my environment also. I was also doing devotions. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, and, and how, just out of curiosity, give or take, how old was Arlen at about this time? He was 43. 
Okay, that makes a little more sense. No, but well, I think he carried on his devotions all the way up to he, he is so devout. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good 54 before he stopped at least one of yeah. one angle. As far as we can gather, in all seriousness, mm-hmm. he has always had two women. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. He had, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Which, again, I... Okay. I joke about this a little bit, but you talked about being a recovering Pentecostal. I'm a recovering Mormon. And so people always joke, how many wives do you have? Now, the Mormons have not practiced polygamy for hundreds of years, but or at least a couple of uh, hundred years. So it's a, but it's still a funny joke. But it is shocking to me that anyone would want to have more than one. <laughs> I'd call it a wife, but, you know, significant other or whatever. I mean, that's a lot of work even if they know each other and are okay with it, like in a true polygamous situation. But when they, we know part of the reason why that is, and we'll get to that. Right. But Linda, so I, I, the story I always on wondered, I always wondered. And I, I was like, what is, she, do they have this weird thing going on? Because like, but he would always say Linda doesn't exist. And so I thought, do they have this like weird thing? Like maybe that's hers now or something. So I asked oh her recently, God. I said, Linda, did it bother you that he wore his, wedding ring all the time? So the answer would have been yes, but I didn't know because <laughs> it did bother me for a very short period of time. And then one day he came home because he only wore it like, I want to say it was that summer, the 2012 summer. Mm-hmm. He came home one day, he said he'd been for lunch with you and the boys. And then y'all had left and he said he went into a jewelry store. The restaurant was adjacent to a jewelry store, I guess. And he had a swollen knuckle and he had never been able to take the ring off. Like it was like, it just wouldn't come off. He had them cut it off. He told me he was sad when he saw the engraving on the inside. I don't remember what it was. And that, and then later he told me he had given the pieces of the ring to Evie. That was the last time I saw that ring. Not once did he ever forget to take the ring off when he came home. I had no idea that ring even still existed. And when I heard that he was, he had worn it all those years, it blew my mind. Cause how could he not, I mean, he would come home late at night. He would stay at Evie's and with, you know, he would often get home at 1230 or one in the morning from spending an evening at their house. And cause he said the boys stayed up really late. So one of someone stayed up late at the house. I don't know if it was a boy. No, it really was. It was one truth. Yeah. <laughs> one truth. It might be hey. the solo truth. But anyway, so I am amazed I, to this moment. I don't know where he kept the ring. I don't, cause I, you know, I would go in the glove box in the car for, or the truck for this or that. I don't know where it is. I asked him about that after we had that conversation. I said, so tell me about this wedding ring, you know, the one you cut off. And he said, yeah, I remember telling you that. that was all he said. So, by the way, there's a little hint that these guys still are somehow in contact, which is still amazing to me. Okay, so let's let's go back a little bit because we have a bunch of stories that we can talk about. So this is not necessarily going to stay in chronological order for everybody listening, because there are just too many things that, you know, can spider off of this. But I understand there was a camping trip situation. Oh, there was, they went to family camps, Arlen and the boys. That was often their summer, one of their vac- trips or vacations or whatever. So the summer of 2012, when he left, he told me, it was in July, he said that Evie wanted, I think the camp was in Michigan and he, and she wanted him to go with them. And he said he didn't want to go, but he had agreed to go and she couldn't drive all the way. And I begged him not to go, oh, no, you can't do that. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. Um, it's not appropriate. And because my thing was, you know, spend all the time you want, just don't spend the night. Because I thought that's that seems a reasonable boundary. And he agreed. 
until he broke it. But anyway, he then told me that they talked after a few days and that she was going to go to um, some kind of thing in Colorado, not to worry. He was going to take the boys to Michigan. All was going to be fine. So as far as I knew, that's what was happening, except that I must have known that wasn't. I mean, he, would, he even went so far as to tell me when, when Evie's plane left for Colorado and that she was on the plane safely going away to the mountain. But this family camp posted pictures of the campers. And so I stalked them and found pictures of, lo and behold, all of them. Including Evie, who was supposed to be in Colorado. That woman is amazing. She can be so many places at once. She's so talented. So, yeah. So you confronted Arlen, I assume. Yeah. He got, when he arrived back, like he drove, he came back, he had a scruffy beard. Like he looked like he'd been camping in the wilderness. I don't know. It's all, to this day, it's the only time I'd ever seen him unshaven, I think, like that. It's gross. He was usually very clean shaven. It was very peculiar. But he, anyway, he came back. He was all apologetic. I'm so sorry I lied. I just I just thought you'd be so upset and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I forgave him. Because it was never going to, because he was never going to lie to me again. Of course. And he's so good at this. The manipulation and everything. He seems like a really good one. I think there's something we were talking before the show you refer to it as the big lie. Yeah, at some point. So there'd been a series of lies I'd caught him in and they usually involved the boys. It was always when he was going to do something with the boys and Evie, he would come up with some, you know, some lie to to cover it. And I caught him in several of those. Well, finally he confessed to me that, and I think this, I think, I believe this to be true, that growing up, he was very good at everything. He was a good athlete, good student, you know, everything he did. Everything he touched was gold. And he, his parents had very strict rules about what you do and do not do. And there was no breaking those rules. So what he learned to do was lie from a fairly young age. Not that he decided not to do the things he wasn't supposed to do. He learned to cover what he'd done by lying. So he was an accomplished liar by the time he was an adult because he felt he had to live according to the standard of perfection. That, that is what he felt. So, so. He told me that's why he had told those lies. He didn't want to upset me. He said, I lie to avoid conflict, which I believe. I still believe that. But the big lie was that he said, look, when Evie and I split up, we sat the boys down and we told the boys that we're no longer a couple, but we will always be a family. And so they were committed, he said, to giving the boys a family life. Going, they went to church together as a family. She always went, they always went to ball games together. They went to family holidays together, all of these things. And I thought this was the greatest thing I had ever heard in my life. I thought that is how couples should get divorced. That is what I thought they should be teaching courses on how to get divorced. Like they are rock stars. Isn't that amazing? What a good dad. They're like how mature of them. I just thought that was the most amazing thing. I bragged about, I bragged about that until like a year ago. until I found out it was a load of crap. But now they did do all of those things, but it was part of his lying. It wasn't part of a, you know, a mature decision that they came to together. It was no, not at all. It was a performance. And so, so I, you know, that, that gave him space to always have that family unit doing whatever they want to do. And it meant that for the next decade, I spent every single holiday alone. My family's in another country. And every single holiday, he would get up and go wherever they were going for the holiday, it, which really sucked. But I thought, well, it's best for the kids, you know, because, of course, I was all 
<laughs> what's the word? Moral. So Evie, you've got your husband. At least for four or five years of this, he was still your husband. Coming over in the mornings at noontime for lunch and every holiday and I'm assuming a bunch of weekends for the sporting events and everything like that. Yeah, Not so much on the weekends, but yes. He had himself on a visitation schedule, and he was very strict about it, but I didn't know what it was, but he did, and he kept himself. I mean, we didn't get like a little extra hour over here. If we got an extra hour here, then he took an hour from over there. But anyway, but yes, he was dividing his time equally among her and us. We were sister uh, we, wives. But there was no her, right? So he would still say, there is no, Linda's married. There, no, she's there's she's not. And so, anyway, that was Ugh. it. For those not watching this on YouTube, my, my face, I just can't, I can't even fathom how one could do this and how two obviously intelligent women allowed it. Well, here's the thing, and I think this is an appropriate time to introduce us. So what we now know, Evie and I have learned more about this topic than either of us, I think, if I can speak for both of us, wishes we knew. We now know that he he has, by, he told me, he has been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. So it's a very serious personality disorder. So there are lots of, we use the term narcissist in our society, you know, sort of casually to refer to anyone who's arrogant, whatever. But it, but narcissistic personality disorder, you know, according to the DSM-5, I think, you know, has nine characteristics. And to be diagnosed with it, you have to demonstrate five of them. So he, he told me himself that he has been diagnosed with this. Well, he is textbook. His behavior now makes total sense in the sense that the characteristics of someone with these traits are they're often deep inside extremely insecure people who have no core sense of self and therefore they seek supply that gives them adoration ad admiration attention anything that gives them a sense of being important they often they either grow up in homes that were full of trauma and abuse or where they were adored and revered and could do no wrong certainly fits mm -hmm. the pattern. One, one of those fits the pattern. Many of them, they're so good at performing. They're charismatic. People like them. And he, I mean, everyone likes him. Everyone. I mean, he's, I, he's amazing. Like when you meet him, you think, what a, what a nice guy. Yeah. And, and he um, was like on this side, like I would say after the years went on and he was clearly abusive in some way, I would say he abused me with kindness because <laughs> You know, he was nice to me always. I only ever saw the good side of him. Linda saw a little bit of a different side of him. Oh, and he, I saw a lot of a very, he got, he became, after they lost their youngest son, he became, the traits of behavior escalated totally out of control. And he became eventually the total opposite of what he was in public when he was home. But yeah, so we now know that there is a context in which, within which this makes sense. It's not just, mm -hmm. you know, he's not just running around. And so often when, when individuals like this, cheating is very common and they meet someone, they mirror whatever that person wants. They mimic the traits. They figure out what this person, you know, likes. And then they act like whatever that person desires. And they hold on to that performance for however long. And then eventually they get tired. They discard the person and they find, but they usually have a new supply. Right. It's almost untreatable. Something like 3% of people with the disorder will ever have treatment. And it's almost untreatable. The habits are because that because the life practices work in the service of 
that person. They work for them. There's no incentive to change. They get he doesn't they have a need to change. He has enough women for whatever reason. But I think this is a great time to bring in after Colson passed away. That was my last tie to him because in these years of this happening, as happy as we were and as much as we did function as a family, which we did. And I will say and add this for context too. after calls after I finally did divorce him, when I realized nothing's changes, I think there's a Linda over there, but he, you know what? Anyway, so we finally divorced and the just about the moment we divorced, our third son was diagnosed with cancer. And so instead of me thinking I'm going to now go over here and do a different life, it only put us back into the same kind of life because my third son loved both of us being together. And so I was not going to upset him anymore or try to prove mom's going to go here. Dad's going to go there. No, we functioned 100% as a family continued to function the same way. So nothing changed after the divorce except Colson went through treatment and then he passed away. So in, in the midst of that, I'm thinking I was getting a divorce. I was going to move on, but now this. And so anyway, I say all that to say when Colson left, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, the last tie that we had. And so it turns out that when I broke that tie, he found someone else. Yeah. So there was a client, horse showing client, her kid showed, and this was the mom. And she was a friend of mine and she was all about him for a long time, but they ended up having an affair that lasted quite a while. And actually her husband sang at Colson's funeral. I did attend the funeral with some friends, sat at the back, felt I should be there for him, knew I probably wasn't welcome. I'm glad. <laughs> Only my oldest son saw her, but it wouldn't have been pretty. I saw him when he saw me. Yeah, it was it, to his credit, he just looked away. Oh, so he didn't even know you were going to be there. Oh, no, no he she knew. wouldn't have been no, allowed to Arlen be knew I was going. He oh. came, I sat at the back with my friends who were, you know, mutual friends and he came and he gave me a hug, thanked us for coming, whatever. But it was a very painful experience because that's, you know, he was my partner, right? And when some, your partner's going through that. Sorry, I just remember watching them walk out of the church when they took the coffin out and there was just so much pain. And I just wanted to be able to put my arm around him and I couldn't because I didn't exist. And I was so glad he had Evie because I knew, sorry. That's okay. I knew that she was the only person on the planet who could understand what he was feeling. Like no one else but Colson's parent. No one knows what that's like. And I was glad that they were friends. I mean, I didn't know there was more. I didn't know how much more there was. I didn't know that they were, I didn't know they were sleeping together all those years. I just knew they were friends. We did have a really good relationship, Tom. And to put in here, the reason it was so important for me to have this relationship of what she's telling, she watched it from the sidelines. And I did appreciate her, how she handled over there. I did. I always did, even in the midst of it when she didn't exist. I still appreciated her. I knew what she wasn't doing. She wasn't demanding him not to be with his kids and all that. So, but at the service, he spoke so highly of me. I got a standing ovation. That's just, I am 
completely baffled, seriously, that I just never seen anything like this. Evie, you're sitting there saying how much you appreciated the woman that was sleeping with your husband <laughs> while she was sleeping with him. I have met literally hundreds through my work, a hundreds of women and men whose spouses have cheated. And I have never once heard anyone say, I really appreciated what they didn't do. I mean, that's, that is huge. That's monumental. Divorce doesn't have to be complicated. Our Divorce.com's three-step procedure provides a simple and affordable process that you can follow at your own pace. Save thousands by visiting OurDivorce.com today. Let's go back a little bit. I want to hear one more story. Evie, I want to hear the hot springs story. Well, from my perspective, we were married. We So ultimately, to set things into perspective here, we were married 26 years. Okay. From the day we married till the day we divorced, we were married 26 years. So on our 25th anniversary, even though he lived somewhere else, he moved out in 2012. On our 25th anniversary, he took me on a surprise trip. Now, mind you, it was just for the day. But he came and picked me up and we went to, ultimately, he took me to Hot Springs and we went on the Bell of Hot Springs. Now, I knew even at the time that he was probably doing it more for show, even though we had a really good relationship. I mean, celebrating an anniversary while he lived somewhere else was a little bit off. But it, anyway, that's what we did. So it wasn't until recently when I was telling Linda, yeah, when we went on the to hot springs on our anniversary trip that I found out the other side of that. Yeah. So the other side of that was that starting in, it was either two, 2012, 2013, we'd gone on the, on, it's a dinner cruise. Okay. We'd gone on it, you know, sort of on a whim. Well, we had the best time. So that became our thing. We did it a couple of times a year and it was our thing. It was our favorite thing to do. It was our special place. And I, when I found out that he had taken Evie to our special place on our special boat, on our <laughs> boat, and had dinner on our boat, and by God, if you sat in our booth, I would be so pissed off. <laughs> but oh, I was, I, I just thought, how, I said, because I told him, I said, I just found out what you did. How could you do that on our boat? And he's like, he's dead. And so you guys, at, so that was what, 2015, you'd been, Linda, you'd been living with Arlen at this point for three, what, years. three years. Yeah. yeah. For the most part, I was really happy. We did our horse thing. We got along well, felt really good. He was hot, you know. By the way, I do need to say, we've had that part of this conversation about whether or not, because I, I asked you guys, is he just like this overly attractive man? And Linda, you said, oh yeah, he was hot. And I remember Evie in your first episode, you said, I believe you said you're ugly and your mom addresses you funny. Yeah. When um, I very first saw him, that was my first impression. I just, so, you know, there you go. There, <laughs> everybody has a different taste, right? But he was, after that, he was handsome, but not to the extreme. He's not the this person that can get all these women to do what he got us to do. It's just, right. that's bizarre, the bizarre. Now he's good looking, no yeah. doubt, but. A little uh, less so now. A little less yeah. so now. <laughs> okay. Right, but this kind of living a double life takes a toll. Seriously. Yeah. Like you yeah. can see the effects of it. You really can. He lived, yeah, a double life for sure. Yeah. It's, I, it, I remember I, I saw a before and after picture of U.S. presidents at one point. Yeah. Those four years yes. or eight years, those men so far 
you know, someday a woman is going to age just as bad, but these men age like 40 years during those four to eight years. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine that Arlen, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. And again, I don't care how intelligent he is. I don't care how narcissistic he is. The fact is that still has to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when he did leave in 2012, if we did could dredge up some pictures, he had a marked weight gain and quite a different look even at that time but then he leveled out but yes he has aged but he i mean can you imagine living a double life and then a triple life when he brought this other person in and then as soon as that girl broke up with him we were kind of there but when she broke up with him he cried on linda's shoulder oh my gosh he did but that this is here's the craziest thing you may hear so he became very skilled at gaslighting and So gaslighting is the term used to describe when someone lies to you in ways that is intended to make you doubt your reality. And he was a master. He became a master. So the most extreme example is after I busted him, I I suspected the relationship with this friend for a while. And then on his birthday, interestingly, I busted him for two affairs on his birthday, back to back years. Affair number one on on Evie was also on his birthday. He has something about doing these or getting caught on his birthday. Don't ask me what that's about. But anyway, so I busted them for sure at a horse show. And it was a scene for the record worthy of General Hospital through the drink at him. You know, you'll never ride my horse again, you whatever. I mean, it was awful. Then we returned from the horse show. Her husband would not let her be in the home when he was there. So she had to go stay at a hotel. And the day after we got back, he had gone to have his birthday dinner with his parents and he was very late getting home. And so I was texting like, where are you? I'm with my parents. And I said, send me a picture. Well, he sent me a picture to prove where he was that he had already sent me. He keeps a collection of photos of places he is so he can prove where he is when he isn't, essentially. And he continued to do this with the most recent supply. So anyway, I had a hunch that he was, I knew because I was talking to this woman's husband who was, of course, devastated. They had two little kids. And I knew she was in town at a hotel. I just knew that's where he was. So I drove to town because I needed to prove to myself, I guess, what I already knew. Sure enough, his truck was in the parking lot. So I stood beside his truck, texted him, and said, I am standing beside your truck. I know you're at the hotel. I know you're with her. He called me immediately. And he said, I am not. It's not my truck. I am 30 miles away. I'm driving home. That is not my truck. And I thought, pretty sure it's his truck. I knew it was his truck. I mean, I knew it was a truck. It's like a, you know, it's a one ton dually Dengali. Like, I mean, it wasn't very old, had his cowboys thing on the back. I mean, like I knew the truck, mm-hmm. but in the moment I was thinking, oh my God, I falsely accused him. Oh, wow. And I apologized for falsely, falsely accused. I should have keyed the truck is what I should have done. Right. So I drive home. Sure enough, he shows up an appropriate amount of time for the 30 miles away that he said he was later. And I don't know if he ever, he didn't not admit to it, but you know, it was obviously, I I mean, I knew it was struck. So he did that kind of stuff all the time to the point that she finally went home, like just within a couple of weeks. And he bawled on my shoulder. Why did, why would she do this to me? Why would she break up? And because I wanted him to stay, I, because, you know, remember, we were going to be together forever. And I kept, I had kept saying to him, why did you turn out? You were supposed to turn in. So I let him cry on my shoulder. You know, he what, stayed. What year was that? That was 2019. 19. 19. But... Right before that had been, the weekend before that had been Easter. And on the Saturday, my beloved show horse, who was 26, I'd had to put her down. 
Oh, he stayed around. Also, Colson's birthday then. Yes, it was. It was, and he. So, I put the horse down that day. He got. He was like super partner, even though he was having this affair at that point. Got in the hole with her, arranged her body the way I wanted it. Like everything was perfect. Then we went in the house. He said he was going to spend the Saturday night before Easter Sunday at his parents. I didn't think he was because I knew what's her name didn't have access to her house that weekend. And dress got showered, dressed for his date in the shirt I'd given him for his birthday, which was my favorite. And off he went on the date. So I spent the night like a crazy woman texting him, "You shouldn't be with her." And then he kept telling me I was crazy. And by the next morning. I was so convinced that I was crazy. I thought I can no longer tell what is real from what is fiction. I went to the ER, and I said, "I think I'm crazy. I can't tell. I can't tell truth from reality." Really? I was so insane by that point because his lies were constant, and he and the constant telling me what you see is not what's really happening. What you see is not, and it's been going on for months and months and months with this particular woman. It really was bad with her. Well, later that summer. What number? What was my number two? She showed. She became a client, and I knew the moment she walked in the barn, she was. I knew this was a problem. Her husband had left her the previous February, and he was about to have a baby with another woman, and she had been broken, and she was sad, and she knew about this other affair. So I thought, well, maybe I'll, maybe it'll be okay, because she was surely she wouldn't do that to another woman, knowing how painful it is. Surely she wouldn't do that, but she did. And they began an affair.、Um, meanwhile, he and I were having our new beginning. We bought a horse together. You know, that's sort of like having a baby to save the relationship. Except, you know, uh, uh, you can sell a horse, right? Right. And it's generally frowned upon to sell babies. So, generally, yeah. So, as it happened, he ended up keeping the horse and not paying me for my part of the horse. But that's another story. Well, you're probably crazy for thinking he owed you anything, right? He's going to convince、yeah. you, try、yeah. to convince you that. Oh yeah, that's ongoing. Anyway, that the next January we moved off the property into a new house, which was supposed to be our new beginning. But of course, by that now, in hindsight, of course, that was just to get me off the horse training property, so that you know this current affair could be there. I busted them, and then the really crazy stuff began. So he stayed for another. So that was in the that was in April of 2020 when I found them together at the barn. And I knew it'd been going on for a while, but I found them together, you know, blasted him, called him out, and at that point in time, he must have told her he broke up with me, but he didn't. He stayed. He lived with me for another year, but he got an apartment in a town about halfway between where she lived and where we lived, and he came home every night unless he was at a horse show, and he just he dates began dating her openly around the boys, taking her to family events, but I didn't know. That I didn't know he was dating her openly, and then he and I began couples counseling in August of, or summer of that year. And, and crazy, no, it is crazy. Then we so we started couples counseling. With, it was during COVID, so it was video, but really great group of a couple, two two a married couple who do couples counseling. They were fantastic, and they knew something was up with him. And then one night, it was the strangest thing. He came home. He was hostile and mean and. Drank a lot, and then he started puking his guts out, and he puked for three hours nonstop. And it was so weird. This is so gross. No odor, no nothing. He just puked and puked. And then when he stopped puking, it was like he was a changed man for the next three months. 
And I swear, if you believe in demon possession, then maybe he puked up a demon. I don't know. To this day, I don't know. All I know is he behaved like a, stri a completely changed man. He was nice. Huh. He was kind. I had to go to Canada during that time. And while I was there, he was. He said, I want to marry you. You know, I want to be with you. We're going to be okay. I can't wait for you to get home. I came home. He had like a nice gift waiting. He was so romantic. Then we went to a big horse show in November. He bought me an engagement ring. And we came back from that horse show in November. And one morning we were sitting looking at, it was early in the morning and we were both awake early. And for some reason we were looking at real estate that morning, like thinking of what properties we might buy. And he went to have a shower. And for some reason I looked on Facebook and found pictures of him and this affair partner at Thanksgiving, which had been the weekend before at his parents' place. <laughs> Wait, so so this is Thanksgiving 2020. Yes. He had spent Thanksgiving at his parents with his new girlfriend. And had been taking her to the boys' ball games. I'd... So you knew about, this is number four from your podcast. Yes. Yeah. But one thing right in here that we have to interject that is crucial is in September of 2020, Linda wrote me oh. an apology letter. And it was, and I've described it before as amazing, all encompassing, the most, you know, the best gift a scorned woman could get. It, it had, it said everything that it needed to say. And I do believe at that same time, around that time, Arlen had sent a letter to our sons. This was part of their counseling, I think, as yeah. they were going through it. So anyway, so the reason that this is important to put here is because this is what started dialogue between Linda and I, even though when she sent that to me, I just said, thank you. And I went on with my life. Like I was, I really appreciated it. I was thankful for it, but it wasn't at a place where I needed it. Like you're darn right. You better. And it was like really just more full, like uh -huh. just added to my fullness. But after she sent me that, a few weeks later, she had messaged me to tell me about a business that she has that she thought I would fit well in with some things that I was doing. And so that open dialogue between us, it's the perfect intro into what was about to happen. It is, it's unbelievable when I look back that she sent that and then we had this little dialogue between us. And then when she found this out in November, December, I think it was in the first weekend of December, she texted me, it was like a Friday night, and she said, I found out Arlen's having an affair with number four. And I was like, hmm, yeah, yeah. I think I said, he's been dating her for a year and a half. What, like, what are you talking about? Where have you been, you know? And I'm thinking they broke up a year and a half before because when she sent me the note, she put the context of a year and a half before, which was when Colson had passed away. And I thought, well, they must have, kind of just completely severed the relationship at that point. And that's when he started dating this other one. And so I didn't know what Linda was trying to tell me. She said, he lives with me. I'm like, what? Almost like say it a little louder because I can't really hear what you're saying. I don't understand. And she was texting me. I won't go into the details, which could be really funny. We'll have to talk about them another time. But so then she said, yeah, he asked me to marry him three weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, three days ago, whatever it was. And I'm like, what? Like he had kind of just asked me to marry him somewhere in the midst of that too, because things were crazy on his end. He said, if you'll just, if you and I could just get back together, everything will be fine. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> so. So, okay, wait a minute. So 
we're sitting here at the end of 2020. He's been proposing to you, Evie, basically, I, I, let's get back together. Linda, he's proposing to you, buying you a ring. Meanwhile, he's dating number four openly with his parents' knowledge. Who was hounding him to get married. Hounding him. So, so, so number four is saying, we need to get married. I'm sure he's telling her we're going to get married. I'm sure of it, right? And then in the meantime, he's asking both of you to marry him. And, <laughs> and Oh, and it all blew up because all the walls came down because I messaged his parents and I said, how dare you have this woman at your house? I have lived with him for nine years. I've never once been invited to your house. Like, does this not seem like a problem to you? We live together now. Well, this was unknown to his parents. They lost their minds. They called him and shamed him with, you are going to hell. You are a disappointment. You are a terrible person. You are blah, blah. And I, I mean, they berated him up and down. And then they called me. I too am going to hell. For living together? For living together, yes. So then he got on that bandwagon. Then he got on that bandwagon himself. Oh, it's sin. We've been living in sin. Yeah, he wasn't on the bandwagon. He was just getting hounded by number four because she was trying to pull him that way. Here's the other crazy thing that happened in the midst of this is when Linda contacted me and said he's having an affair and my head is spinning as to where is Linda's in all this? What has she been talking about? Because anyway, the next week on a, on Friday night, I began to get text messages on my phone. Now my children were too, but they weren't with me. And I'm getting text messages on my phone as if they were to me. And it says your ex is at it again. And I'm like, who, what? And so anyway, number four was talking to Arlen about Linda. And, and so the text messages, like they were on a family plan, cell phone plan. Uh -huh. And somehow they ended up going to the boys and to Evie. So they started seeing all of these messages between Arlen and number four. And so when he says, or when number four says your ex is at it again, he's referring to Linda is the ex. He was referring to Linda as right. being the ex. Yes. So I'm just out of it. Like I have, it's time to get my popcorn and put my feet up and watch this show go on because, and so the amazing part about it, why I said she sent me the letter, which is, was really kind and very nice, but I had an end to her to say, Hey, what are you doing? You know, on this Friday night, when these messages are coming to my phone, I'm like, what do you, I could ask Linda, what are you doing? And she could tell me what she was doing. And I could see what Arlen was doing. And I knew and I didn't know about them. No, I didn't. Never, and you never no. told me for months never and months. Yeah. No, we never told her, but here's the thing the in case nobody saw that heard this on the first one but the very first night these messages started coming into my phone number four is telling arlen your ex is at it again and says to him i think i'm gonna have to get a restraining order and he says fuck that bitch slap a restraining order on her ass so i text linda at this moment, I mean, this is real time. This is happening. I say, hey, Linda, what are you doing? She said, I'm waiting on Arlen. He's on his way to pick me up. We're going to eat. So number four is basically trying to call the law. Arlen's in between both of them, going to pick her up, telling her to put a restraining order on. And I'm like, wow, I did not know. Because honestly, I think he had asked me out that very day. 
asked me out to go eat. I had no idea he was capable of this. Oh my gosh. And that's the first night. Have you ever seen the movie? I think it's a Denzel Washington movie. I think it's called man on fire where he's, he's like caught. He like accidentally stole some money or something. He's like, he's a police chief. And so he has to like cover his bases and he's like staying ahead of everybody by about three seconds throughout this entire movie. That's how I feel that Arlen is here. He's created this situation, but he just keeps adding to it. That's the other thing. It's not just he did one thing that he has to cover for the next year. He Every day, he seems to be adding more shit to the pile. Oh, well, yeah. and from day, you know, for, with her, I mean, you, Evie has since shown me many of the texts and lies. So, I mean, she has been lied to ad nauseum and, you know, probably still is. But um, I'm sure she is, of course. That doesn't yeah. change. So, yeah, it was crazy. But, yeah. The reason she wanted to put a restraining order was because I had sent her some messages with choice language saying that she needed to get out of my relationship. Uh, that is nuts. But here's so, the thing for people watching, people need to know this because his role in it, when she said that, when number four said, I want to get a restraining order. It was like, you know, birthday, Christmas time for him, because if she does that, then she can't talk to her. Oh, like this is it. And so I can see as to where a narcissistic person would entice or kind of push a person to get a restraining order because it exactly plays into their hand and they can keep everybody separate. Yeah, it's triangulation at its best. Yeah, Like you say, he's an intelligent guy. And I think most, I think a lot of narcissists are. Mm -hmm. And again, I think, Linda, you said it earlier. We don't take that term lightly here. I make fun of people very publicly who call... Basically, I think most people think the definition of narcissist is the same as asshole. Right. And if, if someone has pissed me off, they must be a narcissist. That's not the case. It's a, it is a very specific diagnosed and not very many people have it. And in this case, I think, like you've said, we have one here. Let's fast forward because we're actually, it's funny, you know, I could say we're running out of time and I don't mean time on the show. I mean, we're getting almost to real time here. We're talking about 2020, end of 2020. So we're only a year or two back. So I understand. So we're talking about like January, early 2021, right? There's yes. a couple of weekend trips. What's going on there? We went, yeah, we went to Northern Arkansas to a little town I'd wanted to go to. She apparently, according to those texts, she, because Evie was text, texting me saying, where, where are you going? Like, is he driving? And I couldn't figure out why she was asking me that. Well, apparently he was supposed to be at a men's retreat. He told um, number four, he said, oh, the church is having a men's retreat. I'm going to that. And then we went to a horse show and he told her that he had COVID. He couldn't see her that weekend. But I posted pictures of the horse show on his Facebook page and she saw those. And I guess he told her that they were from you know, a previous show or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, so she she about that. but I will say when he went to that, I have to say this, when he went to that men's retreat, they did do devotionals. <laughs> <laughs> he did send devotionals to number four to prove that he was at this men's retreat, but I'm sure he was having a few devotionals, right, Linda? Uh, he was devoted, yeah, we, <laughs> quite devout, quite devout, yeah. But here's the thing, Tom, when he would do this, when he went on this men's retreat slash romantic weekend with Linda and to the horse show, Lori 
<laughs> number four. Number four, her remedy, her answer, her solution was let's get married. Right, because that'll fix everything. Every time she caught him in a lie, you said that's what her response was, let's get married. Let's, let's get, get married. married. And the so one, then, oh, the sorry, one thing sorry. he said one time, one time, I thought, this is the most intelligent thing this man has ever said. He said, I just don't think that getting engaged and married right now after we're kind of having these problems is the very best thing. And I thought, man, finally. <laughs> Yeah. He's yeah. ever going to go do it that day, right? Oh, yeah. She had him. I mean, she would say, let's go to the jewelry store. They close at five. Can you be here by five? Can we got to get there before five? I mean, she had the pressure on. And then you know, Valentine's Day, which is my very favorite holiday. Anyway. It's mine too, by the way. And my, mine is my favorite because that is the day the judge signed my divorce decree in 2020. <laughs> I have That's more awesome. That's always been my favorite holiday. But, yeah. <laughs> So well, then, so, but oh, it was a really bad, uh, from other than those trips, it was a horrible few months. He was very, he would come home at night and he was mean. He would come in and he would, if I opened my mouth, I mean, there was screaming every night and some physical violence, which was, that was not his MO prior to that. It was. And Linda did end up in the hospital a few times. I wasn't eating. He would drive her to the hospital. And then he would go be with number four. And one time he went to the courthouse with number four to get this restraining letter. And was then it just he, a cease and desist letter. Which, yeah. And then he went back and picked Linda up from the hospital. Oh my gosh. I just, okay. I, I'm going to say this and I hope no one isolates this particular audio because it makes me sound really bad, but there's, you gotta have like some grudging respect for someone that can juggle that many balls and keep them straight. I mean, if that guy could take that brain power and put it to something positive, he'd probably cure cancer. Mm -hmm. That's just insane to me. I literally don't understand. Okay. So, so Linda, you say that he got physically violent. Evie, you never saw that in your entire time with him. Evie, you'd, you'd been at, with him for nine or 10 years at this point. It had never come up, but clearly the pressure's getting to him, it sounds like to me. And so he kind of blew up. And when you say physical violence or violence or abuse or whatever, was it just screaming or did he? There's pushing, some kicking, hitting. Biting. 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 Yeah. He bit you? Yeah. One time I was, he had like, went to, he went to, I thought he was going to hit me and I grabbed his shirt. So I held him, like grabbed the shirt and I wouldn't let go because I thought if I, he was this close and I thought that if I let go, then he would be able to hit me. Right. Like if he could get far enough away, then you can hit. And so I was holding on and he bit me on my hand and I had like broke the skin. It was like, a, it was Again, just so, it was just so ugly. It was so ugly. And then Finally, in March, he left, sort of. He said, okay, so it was a, that was, I guess, the breakup. But he continued to come back several nights a week throughout from then until the fall when I met someone new who was normal. Nice. But he continued to come through that. Oh, well, oh, no, we forgot New Orleans. Gosh. Oh. So in May, we went, he was in New Orleans for a conference, and he'd been coming a lot at night. 
And of course I wanted him to, because I wanted him back and all of that was crazy, but he came. And so I thought maybe they'd broken up. So I, so anyway, he went to New Orleans. I flew down to meet him and you know, we had, we were there two nights together. And the second night phone rang like one in the morning or something like that. And I, it was on my side of the bed. I answered the phone and number four's voice said, hi, who's this? And I said, it's Linda. Said, May I speak to Arlen? And I just hung up. Did you know it was her? Yeah. Well, who else would it be really? No, I knew that voice. And so then the phone rang a second time and I just picked it up and dropped it down and said to him, you might want to check your phone. So we did. And he went out in the hallway to talk to her and told her that phone didn't ring in our room. I mean, that room, you know, wasn't our room, it was our room. Must've been a mistake. Linda, no Linda here. Then he came back in and he said, I have to ask you to do something. Please do this. He said, will you go in the hallway? So I'm like butt naked, right? Like, would you go in the hallway? She wants me to FaceTime the room to prove that there's no one here. So he's like, you know, pulling all the suitcases, you know, hiding all the stuff, evidence of another person. So I stepped into the closet. I, I cannot believe I did this. Like, it was so stupid. She called and she's like, come on, show me the room. So he FaceTimed the room. She made him go in the bathroom, FaceTime behind the door. My toiletries were all over the counter. I guess he just skipped those. Then we drove home. So he drove me to the airport I'd flown out of where my vehicle was. And on the way he was like, oh, she's gonna, she's gonna be done with me. I just know it. And I said, no, she's not. I said, she is playing you. I said, you will have a ring on her finger by the end of the day. Within six hours, of getting home, I had phone call from him saying that they were in a committed relationship. And I thought you were not so committed 12 hours ago. Before when he had been coming to your house or no. you had been going to his place. Oh yeah, crazy. Anyway, and then he sent me the picture of the ring and I was like, told you. So, but on the way back on the trip, I said, so what are you gonna do when she says that we can't see each other and that you can't have contact with me? And he said, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. So I was now the other woman to the other woman. And so, so we just kept doing, you know, he kept coming to stay overnight. I bought a house that summer. He came to the house, you know, saw the house, came for lunch one day, you know, it was just continued like that. And I guess I, you know, they did set a date for the wedding and we, she found out in November that we still had work. We would text back and forth and things. And she got mad at him, threatened not to marry him. But I said, she'll marry you. And they did. And so you're, so at this point, you're having these text conversations or at least somehow communicating and for a period of time, still sleeping with Arlen, then you meet somebody. And I assume that you broke off any sexual contact with Arlen at that point, but you maintained some communication. I was in pretty hardcore therapy by then. It's generally advised to go no contact with someone who is a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And I've for whatever reason, wasn't able to do, didn't feel I could do that. So my new partner, he knows the whole story. He knows the whole story. He knows that we still have contact and I'm very open about that. It, yeah, it's a, it's a, when it's, I now know we had what's called a trauma bond where you literally become physically addicted to the chemicals that are released in the brain when you get the highs from this particular kind of relationship, the intensity and then followed by the lows. And so you're always waiting for those, you know, the little breadcrumbs they throw at you and creates this thing that is called a trauma bond. It's very hard to break. And, you know, it's a process. There's a lot of therapy involved. My therapist is going to be rich, very beneficial, really got a really, I'm happy I've invested the time and money in that process. 
it was for me it was very central and evie has been huge a huge support in just processing it all and you know i'm sure she's ready to be done talking about arlen but i'm thankful that she's you know, she's helped fill in a lot of the gaps and figure out things that didn't make sense because none of it makes any sense. None of it makes any sense. I loved him, as did Evie. Like, I loved him. Yeah. And now, I mean, I now I know it was a performance. You know, the persona that I was in love with was just that a persona. But I did love that person who I thought he was. And it's very hard to, you know, if we have a chat in a text, it's hard to forget that person is not really real. It's very challenging. I've often said that people like that, I'm not saying narcissists in general, I'm saying this type of person, they, they're they incapable of real love. And so what they do is they watch people who, it's the mirroring thing that you talked about, is that they take on those characteristics mm -hmm. because they think that these people, or they know that these people are actually worthy of love. And so they want to be with them. They want to know how to love, I think, mm -hmm. but they just don't know how. And so they just have to play the role. And I, you know, that's a sad thing. Well, so let's finish up the story before we get into some lessons learned and stuff, because there are a lot of lessons to talk about here, mm -hmm. but let's finish up the story. What ever happened to Arlen and number four? They're married. So when did they get married? December of 2021. So six months ago. But not at a small price. What does that mean? <laughs> because when my sons were getting, when we were all getting the text messages and my sons could see what their dad was doing. Now, mind you, they watched him do it to me. They were 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, when he did it to me in our home. And so they were teenagers and they're very respectful people. And so they respected his role for the most part. So then when they could see what he was doing they finally confronted him and they're like dad you're messed up like this is messed up you're you can't do this to people because they watched him bring number four in a room of people and then knew he went home and slept in linda's in their bed in linda's bed and but it was their bed and so they were like, dad, you can't keep doing this. And they said, we're not going to have a part of it. Like you, you've got to stop because you've got to get help. And that fueled his fire of I'm a grown man. I can do what I want. And number four knew this. And she knew that if he kept on with her, his kids were going to be like, we're not going to be a part of this. And so at one point, one day, Arlen said, I'll choose you over my children. And so my children called and said, hey, dad, we saw your text message. We'll make it easy for you. And that's been the end of it. And a man who, if you were to look at our family, if you were to take a look from outside, I would think we were the perfect family. Now, there's lots of junk going on, but we were happy. We did have fun. They, my kids were respectful. They never got in trouble. They just, they were just, it just, Good kids, good relationships. We all had good relationships. No, you know, no fallouts, the five of us. And for him to walk away from these young men is shocking. But I don't know why. I don't even understand that's it, how that's a possibility. It's a testament to your parenting, Evie, that your sons at 22 and 23 were able to set a boundary, you know, based on their values that they held very dear. And to say, 
it doesn't matter if you're our dad, we're not okay with having this kind of person in our space. Mm -hmm. I wish I had, I wish I had that sense of my own values and that ability to set and protect a boundary. And it's humbling that those young men did humbling. So Evie, just uh, by the way, I agree with what Linda just said. That is an amazing thing. I don't think I got this from the first episode that we did together. When did that, when did your kids cut off contact with their dad? Just last year? March. Of 2022? 2021. Oh, 2021. Okay. Okay. So before they got married, but the, but he definitely made that choice to be with her. Wow. Yeah. And when they called to tell him this and they're very respectful, they just they said it very calm. They said it very succinctly. They're very, you know, what upstanding great kids. I just can't say that enough. You know, they weren't calling, chewing him out or they just kind of said this is kind of how it is. And we saw your text. Now, you, I would think that his next response would be, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I did say it. But it was, you know, and then he would try to make things better with them. And he did not. He walked away, if per se, if he walked away. Linda has been more interested and more concerned about him leaving our children than he has. I mean, the walking away from the boys on his part is consistent with the behavior of someone with NPD in that the boys were supply as long as they adored, respected all of those things. And when they challenged, they too were discarded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think he is so full of himself that he just thinks those boys will come to their senses someday? I would think he more doesn't even have a thought that they exist. I don't know. Really? Okay. He's so. All right. So I have one question for each of you. And Evie, because you and I have had this convert, not this conversation, but we've had more time to get to know each other. I'm going to ask you first to give Lori or Linda time to think about it. Because this is the question that people will ask. How could you be so easily fooled? You're a smart woman. You're not a dumb person. Yet this man played you for 25 years. I'm going to ask it bluntly. What's your excuse? Well, I mean, I have a few and I don't know if they could hold water, but one was that little girl that laid in that bed and said, how do you get a daddy to stay? Like, how do you make a marriage work? How do you make this work? And like she said, these couples that are married 50 years, that was what this little girl heart wanted. How can I make this marriage work 50, 60, 70, 80 years? And I'll do what it takes. And so doing what it takes was whatever it took, right? It didn't matter what it was. And so now I didn't plan plan that at the beginning, but that was one reason is because I had this goal in mind, one goal. The end result is happily ever after, ever, forever after. And so that's one thing. And the other thing is he's a really good liar. He didn't break. And I didn't know there's that kind of person. So if I tell a lie, I'm going to be like, uh, 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 no, like, you know, I'm going to call the person back and go, I didn't mean that, you know, and I know I'm going to get caught. And so when he never did that for a long time, I thought, well, he must be telling the truth because nobody can lie and get away with it that long. And so he's a straight faced. He never gives. He never apologizes. He never relents or repents or anything. And so part of it, I was really fooled. I was really fooled. And another part is he was telling me what I hoped was the truth. Mm -hmm. 
I had three sons and I wanted them to have their dad. I mean, I do have a psychology degree and a master's in counseling and study family dynamics. And I know the importance of a, the role of a dad. And that's what I wanted. Now, the importance of the role of a dysfunctional dad, I'm not sure. Right. I didn't think he was that dysfunctional until the text messages came, Tom, until those text messages, that until the moment they arrived on my phone, I thought he was a great person. And I thought he had met Linda and she fit him better. She suited him better. And until I saw those with my eyes, I never could have thought he was capable. It was clear that he was and everything became clear then. But mm -hmm. So those are my answers. I'm good and confident in what I have done. I don't know why I waited so long, but what I do know is it's my story and it took me that long to get to the point I got to. Okay. And a day before would have been too soon, like something in the oven. You can't take it out too soon. It won't be done. And that's. Yeah. Good for you. Okay, Linda. I, again, you've kind of, and again, I'm going to say it one more time. Thank you so much for being willing to, bear your soul. This is not, I'm sure this has not been the easiest couple hours of your life. So same question though, because you were duped as bad, if not worse, maybe not for as long, but you were duped by this guy. What, how, what happened? I believe that people change and I believe people can change. And when he wasn't, when he was lying and things like that, I just believe that everyone wanted to be a better person and wanted to do things better. You know, the next day I wake up in the morning, I think today's like Anne of Green Gables says, today's a new day with no mistakes in it yet. Yet, <laughs> usually the operative word there. And so I just had, I just believed wholeheartedly that he wanted those things too. And I didn't know there were people in the world who lived double lives. I didn't know that he was one of them because there was so much to like. We had lots of really good times together and I valued so much about the relationship as I thought it was. The other things I thought were things to work on. I don't expect perfect relationships. I thought that was stuff you just work on. I didn't know, as Evie has put it, the gravity of the depravity. I didn't know about MPD. So by the time I think, by the time things started to click, at that point, I was in so deep in a trauma bond. I was a willing participant in my own betrayal. Wow. Yeah. I sold my soul. I have, I have a reputation as being pretty mouthy, pretty bold. And where that version of me went in this relationship, I have no idea, but she did not show up for me. And I wish that she had, because she would have fared much better because she would have said, you need to go figure out your, stuff because I'm not playing these games. Instead, I gave him chance after Shasta and with someone with who isn't, you know, the rules, the things that work as far as healing normal relationships do not work in a relationship with someone with MPD. They backfire. Forgiveness is simply permission to continue the behavior. And I forgave and I forgave and I thought I was doing the right thing. Yeah. What I now know is that don't wait for the right train in the wrong station and better yet, get out of the station, buy your own damn car and go on a trip. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Evie's showing me that life's a trip and you should take yeah. it. Absolutely. Know? So now we are at the part of this show that to me is the most important part, which is what have we learned from this? You guys have both been through it, literally the same kind of gaslighting and 
abuse from a narcissist, a true narcissist. And there's got to be a lot of lessons learned. So Evie, let's start with you. What have you learned or what would you want the audience to hear from you and learn from your experience? I think what is a big part of my heart of what I want people to know is if your spouse has cheated on you, most likely nothing you learn past that is a truth because whatever they tell you is their version, whatever it is, they're going to tell you their version of it. And they're not going to want to be faithful. Even those that say, Oh, he bared his soul. No. So anyway, I just want to encourage people who have called their spouse having an affair that the bottom line is either you're going to make it work and you got to forget whatever all that affair entailed, or you're not going to make it work. Like you can't do the, Oh, you're going to go on for years. People go on for years. Oh, but that triggered me. That triggered me. Yeah. It's going to happen. So it's really, you have to make a decision. So by the time the third one came around, I had made a decision. I'm just going to roll with this and we're going to have the best marriage. You know, we're going to roll with it. And you really do have to forget, but I just want to say that if your spouse has had an affair, be aware because there's a million ways to cheat. There's more than a million ways to cheat. And it, I don't know. I don't even suggest anybody work on it now. And before I was like, anybody can make it work. And I'm just not there anymore. And I'm sad to deliver that news. But I think it's the reality of the situation. The damage is done. They did choose someone else. And so anyway, so my takeaway is people can lie. And there are millions of ways to do it. And if your spouse has had an affair and you need help, I would love to walk with you through it, past it. That's great. That's harsh, but sometimes, sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah. Cause I was the one that held on forever and ever. Nobody could have told me that. Somebody told me that and said, you're no, you're crazy. But I just know now it is, it's a fact. So. Yeah. All right, Linda, let's finish this up and let's take it home. What do you want people to learn from your experience? I think it's very important to trust your intuition because I knew from, I knew when he was lying, and I, my intuition was really my best friend. I don't know how I knew. I just felt it, always did. And I silenced my best friend, my intuition, and tried to convince myself of something else because I wanted to believe something else. So lesson number one, don't become complicit in your own betrayal. And number two, do the work on yourself. At some point, if you haven't done it yet in your life, it's never too late. Do it. Get grounded in your values and learn how to set boundaries and do not sell your soul to make someone else's life better, easier at the expense of your own. And mm -hmm. the third thing I would say is that your friends are not always your allies and your adversaries are not always your enemies. And uh, wow. Evie and I, we're not friends at a certain point in time. I like to think we are now. I didn't expect an alliance with Evie. <laughs> but I'm grateful for it. And so sometimes the support you need comes in places you never expected it and be grateful for it when you find it. Great advice. I absolutely love it. Well, I want to thank both of you one more time. Thank you both for being here, Evie, for a second time. Linda, thank you for burying your soul and sharing some awkward moments with us. Wow. You see why I love that part of the show? People who've been through so much pain often have the best advice to avoid that pain. It's up to us to listen and to learn. 
People often tell me this show is biased because we're only hearing one side of the story, and that's normally the case, but not today. I'm so grateful to Evie for introducing me to Linda, and to Linda for sharing her side of the story. It truly brings a new perspective to the story, right? I hope you liked the show today. If you did, please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. That really helps us spread the word about the show. Also, be sure to follow Evie on TikTok at Happily Even After. Have an amazing week, everyone. Bye. Did you know you can get divorced without hiring an attorney? Let OurDivorce.com guide you through our three-step process for a simple flat fee. Visit OurDivorce.com to learn more and get started today.